0: Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're
1: listening. I have, as we've approached this midterm election, I have been sensing in many conversations the blood pressure of our country on the rise again. And I think you probably feel it as well. I do not feel optimistic about the unity of our country after this election in about eight or nine days. Uh, I think we're nine days away. I think uh, it's probably gonna further divide our country regardless of who wins where and who's in control of Congress. And there's just a whole different way of looking at the future. And we're consistent about this here. We're passionate about it at Dulles. We do not believe American politics where Republicans or Democrats are going to solve what ails humanity today. And this is not a call to stand back from political interest or from voting, we should be very passionate about your country and what happens in this country and your own political beliefs matter. But there's something that matters so much more that our society is ignoring or ignorant of or not paying attention to. And so this morning we're gonna use our time to look at the way of Jesus one more time. And I want, I want to do this by explaining uh, j- just the context of where we're going to start. Um, I think this, I, I think the divide that, we're, that is happening in our country, I've said this, you know, quite a few times here in the last four to five, six years, maybe, maybe eight years. I think it's the greatest threat to our country in, in my lifetime. And I don't know, that may be overstated. Maybe, maybe that's not true. I think, it's, I think it's probably true. In my lifetime, I don't think our country has faced a threat as serious as the divide, the division that we're facing today. And you can maybe say since the Civil War, or maybe World War II, maybe, maybe since the threat you know, of the Holocaust and you know, um, our Normandy invasion and what was at stake, I really do believe that our divide today is that, it's on that kind of level. And when you believe something like we do here, that, that Jesus calls us to something radically different than Democrats and Republicans are fighting for. Completely different paradigm. And that that heals people. It not just will heal our country, but it will heal humanity. It will heal what's wrong in here. A starting place for this conversation must be an admission to what has been happening in the American church, and we talk about this pretty regularly. The American church, many aspects of the American church, have been pointing to a solution that I don't believe in, that I believe furthers the divide, and that's where we're going to pick up with this message here in just a moment. And I believe it starts really with church leadership, and this is something I have to evaluate constantly. And Alton and Alex, we are regularly, as the directional team here in conversations about this, our own hearts, looking here at Dulles, like are we following the way of Jesus? Are we being true to what he's called us to? But something has happened where the American church, and we've seen it, I've seen it really increasing, I'd say in 20, 25 years, but particularly in the last, I don't know, five to six years, the American church has been fighting for and again, I'm generalizing when I say the American church, really the church of the West, has been fighting for political passions, I think more so than the, the call of Jesus in, in many respects. And that begins often with church leaders. And so when I talk anecdotally to people at coffees and friends around the country and just who have spiritual curiosity, or people who will say to me, I really feel like I'm supposed to be getting back to my spiritual roots i grew up in church and i've been so far from god or for, regardless of whether somebody wants to return to their faith or somebody's just spiritually seeking it seems that consistently the roadblock the obstacle isn't anything that jesus has said he's pretty compelling to our society today i would say more so than when growing up in the country in the 70s and 80s there is a spiritual interest in this country that is so alive the obstacle is the behavior and voice of many churches that don't seem to, our society, reflect the values or the call or the passion of Jesus. And that begins often with church leaders. And I believe it's really just a couple of things. And remember this, remember this. And maybe maybe it, it's helpful when you try to process, why why is Jesus so compelling? But it seems like Christianity in the news or all over the country just seems so angry or so protesting people or... I think it comes down to a couple of things that church leaders can easily give themselves to, and maybe it's helpful for you to hear a pastor say this. Pastors and church leaders, just like anyone, pastors just like anyone can choose every single day. They can choose the way of Jesus, or they can choose some other way. And I'm going to sum up quickly here as an introduction. I, I think... Two of the ways that pastors can choose or church leaders can choose opposite of Jesus or different from Jesus is, first of all, from pressure or stress. Stress, just personal stress can cause a church leader, just like anyone, to say, you know what, I'm not going to trust God today. I'm not going to actually walk out what Jesus says I should do or what what I should be or what my heart or voice should be in this situation. I'm actually going to take control Church leaders can do this just like anyone. And not just from pressure or stress, but also from passions. And a lot of church leaders in our lifetime have political passions. And sometimes they become more prominent than the passion for what Jesus calls us to. And that is the point that Andy is making at the beginning of this message. Andy Stanley did a two part series called Not In It to Win It about the role of the church. In America and in our, our country today, this is part two. This is the second part of two. We watched the first one about three or four weeks ago. And I just think this conversation is so important. Instead of me trying to replicate it, we're just going to watch it together. This is a portion of his message. And then I'm going to conclude with just another thought of my own here as we approach this midterm. But Andy is talking here at the beginning. By the way, we're partnered with Andy's church in Atlanta. We're, we're a North Point partner church. This is at North Point Church in Atlanta, and Andy is talking about how embarrassed he became by many pastors that he knows even, that he is friendly with, that we're just championing political passions above and beyond the kingdom that Jesus described bringing to this earth, this new way of thinking and living. Uh, that's what Andy's talking about here in just a little bit, 25 28 minutes or so, I'm gonna come back and wrap up with one more thought. Okay, everybody, let's, let's watch Andy.
0: So as we enter another um, crazy political season and it, you know it's already getting ginned up, I just wanted to take a couple of weeks and remind you of some things you already know and talk about some things we've already talked about to get us prepared for what is about to happen, specifically to help us navigate or successfully navigate our potential political differences. And again, what kind of drove this for me, and I shared a little bit of this about this last time, um, you know, about a year and a half ago, or excuse me, a year ago, last spring spring of 2021, looking back over what happened in our country in terms of um, COVID, uh, the political cycle, um, cultural moments that we had that were so, so disruptive. Um, I, As I watch Christian leaders, pastors in particular, some bloggers and some broadcasters, but you know, high level Christian leaders, as I watched them act and speak in such unchristlike terms and say such unchrist-like things and respond and react in such unchristlike ways that in turn empowered their congregations and their followers to do the same I was just, Honestly, I was embarrassed. I was disappointed. I mean, they, they, the behavior and the language of some of these high-profile leaders, and some of them I know, I just, I just didn't have a category for it. And again, as as, as is the case in leadership, they empowered their people to then do the same. I mean name-calling and demonizing entire groups of people, it became like a spiritual discipline. I felt like they were all trying to outdo each other. You, you experienced some of this. And and the reason I can say it's like a spiritual discipline, they took their political ideals and their political ideology and their political opinions, of which, by the way, I have many, okay? So, in fact, Sandra here, she, one of our kind of running jokes at home, Is she, every once in a while, she says, you know, Andy, you don't have to have an opinion about everything. <clears throat> I'm like, you don't? I thought that was just part of being human. She's like, nope, but I do. So I'm a highly opinionated person and I have you know deeply held political beliefs and values um, just like you do. But to watch these supposedly Christian leaders then take chapter and verse and quote Jesus and quote the scripture and kind of wrap their political views in scripture and put them out there as if it's thus saith the Lord. I'm like, what in the world are you doing now? Political um, you know, polarization is just part of the American landscape, right? It's just, just part of our culture. It's been that way for decades. But the thing that made it so tricky and continues to make it so tricky is in this last cycle, the messy but productive middle all but vanished. It just disappeared. And everybody felt pressured to move further to the right. You know, your right, my, my right's over here, your right's over here, to move further to the right or further to the left or be left behind. So churches, so here's what happened. So what happened and what was so disturbing to me, again, this is just kind of my opinion. We're gonna get to something beyond my opinion in just a minute, which is why you came. Uh, churches and church leaders, really, we I saw them take their cues from culture. They they, 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 Church leaders too, they vacated the middle, took their cues from culture. And they did pretty much what everybody else was doing. And unfortunately, they did it the same way everybody else was doing it and they used the same terms and, and as I watched all this again I'm not politically neutral but as I watched these Christian leaders using their platforms this way I, the best way to summarize it I, I felt like that they forgot what it meant to be Christian not become a Christian we, we know we got that down right I, it was like I'm like you're not even being Christian, you're not speaking like a Christian. Your posture in no way <laughs> represents the posture of Jesus. Your approach in no way reflects the approach of Jesus. And Jesus was so clear about how to approach so many of these things. Now, the reason that I wanted to spend a couple of weeks talking about it with us is that we, um, we have a, a very specific challenge. As you know, or as most of you know, we are not a single site Church. So we're not a single site church in one community where everybody kind of looks the same and acts the same. Our churches are spread all over the city of Atlanta, which I love, the state of Georgia as well, and some other states in the United States. But even within the city, because of where our, our churches are located, we are very politically diverse. Now you may not be aware of that, but, but we are. And I think that's a great thing. That's, that's absolutely okay. We do not all see eye to eye politically. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you You're at the right place if you're a Christian, because as we're gonna see, you need to get comfortable with that. And I've learned to get comfortable with that because of what's at stake. And here's why I say it's okay. And you know this from your marriage, you know this from your home life, you know this from the home that you grew up in. Disagreement is unavoidable. This is true at work, this is true in marriage, this is true everywhere, this is true politically, it's true in any organization, true in church. Disagreement is unavoidable. But, and this is where the tension is, and this is why we gotta talk about it. Division is different. Division is a choice. And again, you've experienced this in marriage. You've had some disagreements, but you didn't get divorced. You've had maybe a lot of disagreements, but you know, you're like, you know what? This isn't gonna divide us. This isn't gonna rip our family apart. So divi- disagreement's are unavoidable. Division is always a choice. And the nation continues to choose Division, unnecessarily in my opinion, but continues to choose it. The goal is for the church not to, and specifically, we don't want to. And here's why this is a good thing. This is why the tension is a good thing. It is in this tension over what we disagree over. It's in this tension that we learn and that we grow. It's in this tension that we say, oh, oh, I always thought Oh, I assumed, oh, the, I was raised to believe. Oh, I was told people like you. Oh, oh, that's where you, that's where you have oh moments. That's where you learn and you grow and you adjust your attitude and you shift your thinking and you don't necessarily abandon your, abandon your, uh, abandon your political views or your political party, but there's a sense of, oh, I'm not as buttoned up as I, I thought I was. And, and honestly, it's disruptive to have those oh moments because you're like me. You wanna have a box and everything fits perfectly in the box and your worldview makes sense and you got God in there somehow and it's just all wonderful. And then you bump into somebody or somebody else's experience that doesn't fit your box. And it's like, well, you know what? That just, that makes me uncomfortable. I like my box, go away. Now, this is human nature. This is true for all of us. We want to have a buttoned up worldview. This is why we get mad. And somebody says, Why are you mad? I'm not mad. I'm like, I think you're mad. <laughs> you're, you're mad over something that really has almost nothing to do with you. Because when our worldview and our box gets threatened, especially we got God and Jesus in there together and the Holy Spirit and got chapter and verse, when it gets, you know, when it kind of gets us all stirred up, it, it's, we get defensive. We all do. I do. We all do. This is what's so beautiful about the local church and this is what is beautiful in particular about our local church because we're so big and we're far more diverse than you think we are especially when you take into consideration where all of our churches are. Now, what I'm gonna say next is gonna be the hardest thing for some of you to accept and it's okay to disagree and cross your arms and have bad attitude but I just want you to think about it later because this is is a potentially breakthrough idea or a, breakthrough concept that that may kind of expand your horizons just a little bit. Believe it or not, political disagreement, believe it or not, political disagreement is usually fueled by divergent life experiences, not low IQ. (laughs) I know, it's like, what? No, 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 Andy, you're wrong. The reason she's a Democrat is she's not very smart. The reason he's a Republican is, you know, Republicans, they're not all that smart. I mean, it's just a lot easier to say the other party, they just low IQ, but listen, when we associate someone's differing political views, when we associate that they're just not that smart, low IQ, or you know, a lack of character, they're just bad people. They're just evil people. They're just out to get us, they're just evil. When you do this, do you know what you do? You do unto others exactly what you do not want others to do unto you. You size them up and you write them off and you stereotype them. And I don't know you personally, but you don't wanna be sized up and written off and you don't wanna be stereotyped. Oh, you're a Republican. I know everything about you, conversation. Oh, you're a Democrat. I know everything there is to know about you because I know those Democrats. You you don't wanna be treated that way by people you know or people you don't know and neither do other people. We do unto others exactly what we don't want done unto to us, now, here's the thing, and this is why I love talking about this stuff with you. Mature people, and that's you, right? I mean, aren't you mature? Look in the camera a second, okay, everybody. Aren't you mature? You're mature. Mature people and curious people, I hope you're curious. Mature people and curious people don't go there. Jesus followers don't go there because Jesus didn't go there. Jesus did not size you up and write you off, and he could have. And God didn't size you up and write you off and stereotype you, and he could have. We don't go there because Jesus didn't go there and we're fortunate he didn't go there because every time we sing about the grace of God, the mercy of God, every time you confess your sin, let me just meddle a bit, every time you confess the same sin, over and over and over and treat God like God's an idiot. Like I'm gonna ask you to forgive my sin and forget it. Okay, God, I did it again. Oops, I shouldn't have said it again because I think you forgot. and God's like, what kind of game is this you have created? Okay, I'm the God of the... The fact that God in his grace and mercy loves you anyway and loves me anyway, and has called us to do for others what he's done for us, this should not necessarily be easy, but it should be simple in terms of understanding what it means to be Christian. And the thing is this, Jesus didn't just suggest this. We have a mandate that prohibits us from going there. Again, if you're not a Christian, knock yourself out, demonize everybody, criticize everybody, use whatever language you want, have fun with it, okay? you you know, that's up to you. But if you consider yourself a Christian, especially Jesus followers, Jesus addressed this. And here's what he said about all of us as it relates to all of us. You are to, and, and again, how many times would we talk about this? He says, you're to love one another even if you don't agree with one another. In fact, you should love one another, especially when you don't agree with one another. And this love one another, this isn't you know Jesus feeling something toward us. I just love those people. Just feel, no, I mean, read the gospels. Jesus' love was active. It was external. And do you know what the love of Jesus looks like? It looks, sounds, acts like, and most importantly, reacts like Jesus. It's gracious and it's loving and it's kind, and it's patient, and it's honest, and it's direct, but it's compassionate. It's the kind of love that leans in rather than pushes away. And here's what I know about you, and here's what you know about me, if we can figure this out. You do not have to agree with me to love me, and I don't have to agree with you to love you, but Jesus says you are to love him, and you are to love her actively, compassionately involved, because that's what I've done you, We can disagree politically and love unconditionally. Right? Yes. And some of you are like, that's ah, a stretch right there, pastor. I just don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you can, I, I can love you if you don't like my, if you don't love the Braves and I can love you if you don't like my, you know, but I, politically, yeah. I mean, th- don't answer out loud, but can we, can you do this? Now, here's the thing, I say we can, Jesus doesn't leave this in the realm of potential or possibility. We are, if we're Jesus followers, we are required to love one another when we disagree. It goes back to what we talked about last week, we'll get to in just a minute. It goes back to the idea of the law of Christ. Jesus has a law. He didn't have 10 commandments, he had one command. He said, here it is, you are to love one another and you don't just get to pick what it looks like and sounds like and reacts like, I've modeled it for you. You are to love one another. As I've loved you, you must love one another. In other words, Jesus has modeled for us what one another love looks like. And the guys in the room, again, read it for yourself. The guys in the room, when he said this, they had they were so different, they had so many differences. And he's like, he could have gone around the room. Matthew, remember when we met? Oh yeah, Nathaniel, remember when we met? Yeah. Peter, you remember when we met? <clears throat> yes, and Peter, yeah, the worst is about to happen tonight. You have no idea how much I'm gonna love you based on what you're about to do. He could have gone all around the room. And he says, this, this is what I'm calling you to do, guys. You are to love one another, not the way you've seen love happen, not the way you're comfortable with love. I want you to do for each other what I have done and what I'm about to do for you. Which means that God loved us in spite of the fact, God loved us in spite of the fact that we were and still are wrong about a lot of things. God loves us in spite of the fact that we continue to be wrong about a lot of things. Here's the the kicker, Here's 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 what levels the playing field. God loved you when you were wrong about him. And he says, now if I've done that for you, can you not just do that for one another? God loves you, this is amazing. God loves you in spite, of, don't be offended, or you can be marginally offended, but don't leave early, okay? <laughs> God loves you in spite of your misinformed, experience-based, evolving views. Now you say, my views aren't, I don't have evolving views, I got a box and Jesus, and no, no, listen. You do not see the world the same way you did when you were 15, your views evolved. You don't see the world the same way you did when you were 25, unless you're 25, okay? And then you got it all worked out and it's perfect. But when you're 35, you're gonna look at your 25 year old box and go, ah, there were some problems. And when you're 55, you're gonna like, the whole box was completely wrong. I can't even (laughs) believe, I'm so embarrassed, mom. I'm so embarrassed, dad. There's a, you know, we, that's part of growing up. That's part of maturing, right? So, to to hang on to things and to think, you know, but but here's the point God loves you and God loves me in spite of our misinformed, experience based, evolving views. And here's what He's inviting you to do and inviting me to do. In fact, He more invites, He instructs us, He commands it. He says, Now, I want you to love each other in spite of your misinformed, she's, but Lord, she's wrong. God's like, Okay, well, she's wrong. We just love her anyway. But she's wrong. Hey, wait, 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 wait is is being right is that the, is that the litmus test for who i get to love and who i know i guess not okay just love her love him but but their 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 whole view is just based on their personal experience it's not it's not grounded in anything but their personal experience and god's like well i hate to tell you this but so is yours oh yeah well it's different no it's not different i want you to do for others what i have done for you but not this is the this is the most important part but not because it's the nice thing to do. Oh, let's just be nice Christians. No, it's way bigger than that. This is mission critical. This is mission critical. This is mission of the church critical. This is God's mission, mission critical. This is, this is strategic, it's important. There's virtually nothing more important than this. And this is why I say that. Because at the end of his ministry, before he was arrested and crucified, Jesus puts it out there and here's how he says it. And many of you can quote this from memory because you've heard it so many times. Jesus says, look up here, guys. I want you to love one another as I have loved you That's how you must love one another because by this, this loving each other regardless, by this unique brand of love, by this crazy love that brings people who are nothing like each other and don't even normally like each other, by this unique brand of love. You ready? Everyone's gonna know that you are my follower, disciple, learner if Not you vote the same way, baptize the same way, do communion the same way, sing the songs the same way, meet at the same time. No, no, he says, no, the litmus test, the thing that's gonna say to the world that you're my follower is how you treat, how you love one another. So this isn't a nice to have. This isn't a be kind and get along. This is mission critical for the church. In fact, the more we disagree The more we disagree politically, the more diverse we are politically, the more noticeable, the more notable, the more noteworthy our lives and our churches become. The fact that we don't all agree politically is to our advantage. The fact that we are geographically dispersed and politically diverse, it's to our advantage. It means we have a unique opportunity, especially in our cities. We have a unique opportunity to, to the unique opportunity that a single site church doesn't have nothing wrong with single site churches. It's just, this is the stewardship of opportunity and responsibility that God has given us. The more, another way of saying is this is, the more politically diverse we are, the harder it's gonna be for us to love one another. And consequently, the brighter our light is gonna shine. So here's something you know, but I'll say it anyway. Getting along with people who are just like you, that's not amazing. That's normal, that's expected, right? But loving and serving with and worshiping with folks and being in small group with folks who aren't like you, who don't share everything about your worldview, don't share your political views, that's amazing. That's a showstopper. That's a stop and stare. That's ultimately, as we're gonna see in just a minute, that's what helped change the world. Here, here's the way the apostle Paul says it. and He uses our key phrase. He says, look, here's what I want you to do. And he's, he's, he's talking um, to Christians in the um, Roman provinces and cities of, of Galatia. He says, Christians, here's what I want you to do. I want you to carry each other's burdens. Well, well why? Well, here's why. Because carrying, carrying your burden, do you know what that requires of me? It requires me to move in your direction and carrying my burden requires you to move in my direction. And when you move in my direction and help me carry my life burden, do you know what you'll discover? You'll discover that our differences are more understandable than you thought. You'll discover why I sit where I sit and consequently take the stand that I do. And I'll understand why you sit where you sit and consequently why you take the stand that you do. We're gonna have that oh moment, and our boxes are gonna be so confused and so messed up that we either have to set them down and love each other or turn our backs on each other and decide we're no longer gonna be Jesus followers and elevate our politics over our faith, which is always, always, always a mistake. More importantly, and in this way, here's what he says, and in this way, you actually fulfill, here's his phrase, the law of Christ that when I move in your direction, regardless of how different we are, and I get up under the burden of your life, even if you caused the burden through your misdeeds and through your irresponsibility, I learn something about you and I model the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the love as Christ loved us. In other words, when we choose to say it this way, when we choose to carry someone's burden, what divides us diminishes and what unites us Surfaces. That's when we have the, the oh moment. So let me just ask you, get back to it. For those of you who are just, it's just, they're just completely wrong and horrible, whatever, whichever side you're on. You, you got some work to do. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're not a Jesus follower, it's just fun, have at it. Hate, 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 hate. It's okay, call names, it's okay. If you're a Jesus follower, you do not have that luxury. You do not have that opportunity. You are to lean in and discover and figure out how to love and get up under their burden. And it is gonna mess you up. It's gonna rock your world, but it's what changed the world. You will fear less. You'll understand more and you might even change. Not parties but you might even change the way you see the world and the way that you view the people around you that you've never understood. How could they, how could they, how could they remember this? I've told you this so many times. Anytime you get stuck in the cul-de-sac of, how does anybody do that? Why would anybody do that? How could anybody vote that way? How could anybody believe that way? The moment you hear yourself saying that or thinking that, just remember, there's something you don't know. If I don't understand why she could vote that way, and if I don't understand why they would act that way, there's something I don't understand. There's something I need to discover. And yes, it's messy, but it makes you better, and it makes the world better, and it makes the church stronger. This is how the church began. This is how the world changed. And the thing is this, and I'm gonna show you a passage. If the people who came before us and we can't even begin to imagine, I mean, I'm a fan, I read so much ancient history. Some of you love ancient history to, It's impossible to understand how divided these different groups were, but if they were able to come together and launch the church as divided as they were and as different as they were from each other, if they were able to find common ground and serve together and love together and forgive each other, then honestly, I don't have any excuse you don't have an excuse either. In, in, in a culture divided by class and family and citizenship, where, where people purchased their way up the economic ladder, and then just as they were getting to the, close to the top, they could lose their freedom and become slaves to anybody because slave wasn't race-based, it was economic-based. You might have to sell yourself into slavery to get your kids out of slavery. You might have to sell yourself into slavery because you had a bad crop. I mean, it's a world we cannot even imagine. And the ecclesia of Jesus, the church of Jesus, it was birthed in this culture, in this climate. And it was so disturbing. It was so wrong. It was so different. It was so unsettling. Classes of people, classes of people whose circles rarely overlapped, only when it was unavoidable, found themselves. They came together voluntarily, this is amazing, to worship the resurrected savior. I mean, they would be in the same room and the houses were small and be like, I, 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 look, who's, look who's here. Because the message of Jesus was good news for everybody. And they realize everybody's invited, even though this doesn't quite make sense. Again, we can't imagine. I'm going to read you some verses. I, I don't even know, I, there's no way to even exaggerate how disturbing and how countercultural these words from the Apostle Paul were, especially to Roman and Gentile Christians. Here's. Here's what he says, this is, this is what changed the world. This is what I'm invited into. This is what you're invited into. This is, this is how you make the world a better place. This is how you make the United States a better nation. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Okay, stop, wait, stop right there. That, that, that's ridiculous, Paul. Okay, listen, in first century, this gap was so wide, it almost destroyed the church right out of the gates. This, this gap was so wide culturally and morally. The difference is they felt like, no, no, those people are immoral. Those people are immoral. I mean, the gap was so wide and it required extraordinary, extraordinary patience and extraordinary compromise for these two sides to come together to be a part of the same group and the same church. 20 years after the resurrection, 20 years after the resurrection, they're still trying to work this out. But the reason they didn't give up is because they knew God had done something new in the world for the world. And the church was to be the message bearer. The church had the stewardship of getting this message out to the world and they could not allow their differences to get in the way. And I'm telling you the group between these two groups, the differences were vast. He says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free. And this, is, this is what they heard. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, Paul, quick history lesson, Paul. Everybody knows. Paul, it is self-evident. It is self-evident from history. It's self-evident from culture. It's self-evident in our personal experience. Paul, it's self-evident. Some men, some women were born to be ruled over and some men and some women were, were born to rule. Some men and some women were born to be owned and some men and some women were born to be the owners. Everybody knows this. There is a huge distinction between the owners and those who are owned. The whole economy rises and falls on this. Every single pagan religion, every single pagan God, every single God we've worshiped, from the Greek gods to the Roman gods, everybody just assumes this. What what do you mean there's no slave or free? You're telling me your God values the owner as much as the owned? that God values the owned the same way, that God gives the same amount of dignity to those who are owned, to those who own, that there's no difference, that God doesn't play favorites. Paul, okay, okay. man, if this ever catches on, that's the end of slavery. Exactly. The seeds that eventually, and it took too long, the seeds that eventually bore the fruit that undermined the, undermined the slave trade all over the world, almost all over the world. They were sown by Christians and they took root where there were Christian missionaries and people decided to be followers of Jesus. Today, you know this, right? Anywhere in the world where the church is strong, anywhere in the world today where the church is strong and legal, slavery is illegal. The places in the world where slavery is not illegal is where the church is not strong and is not in the open and is not supported are celebrated. This is no coincidence, this is no accident. The liberating gospel of Jesus has huge, huge cultural implications, but they don't get voted in. They get raised up and lived out by the people who are following Jesus. And eventually people discover it's true. Following Jesus makes you better at life. It makes life better and it makes the world a better place. Paul, if we decide in our churches to equate, that they give the same dignity to the owned and the owners, this is is so disruptive. He said, well, I got another one. Neither is there male, female. They're like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. If the women find out about this. (laughs) I mean, Jews and Gentiles, right. But wait, you're saying that men are are not, I mean, that women, that men aren't superior, that women aren't, is this what you're saying? Paul's like, it's exactly what I'm saying. Ladies, women flocked to the church. They, 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 the, the women, this was such a message of dignity and the women knew all along what you women know. You're smarter than us anyway, okay? <laughs> so they already knew, they just didn't have the freedom to live their lives in such a way where they got equal treatment and equal education and equal opportunities. Okay, the seeds were sown through the message of Jesus. Again, to us, it's self-evident. Of course, there's no difference between men and women in terms of their value. But I'm telling you, when Paul wrote these words, it was not self-evident. The opposite was self-evident. For you, he says, this is so powerful. He says, for you're all one. In Christ Jesus, there's no distinction in the kingdom of God equal dignity, equal worth, equal value. This was so disruptive. If this caught on, if this caught on, the fabric of the entire empire would unravel. And it did. And Jesus predicted it. And it was because not of a bunch of people who believe something. It was a bunch of people who lived out the teaching of Jesus. The cultural, again, I don't even know how to describe it any further. The culturally disruptive unity. The culturally disruptive unity. Everybody was there and they refused to allow their built in differences to divide them. The cultural disruptive unity of the first century church shocked the world. And their message in their unity eventually changed it.
1: When Andy made this point, <clears throat> I, it, it, it just so tapped in me what is a passion that we've talked about so much here, going back to really the series we did before the last presidential election. I so want our cultural, culturally shocking <laughs> unity to be what compels people. To what's different. People are sick and tired of the ranting that continues, the opinionated, arrogant ranting on Fox News and CNN. I'm I'm so sick of it. And you are too. America is watching the news less in the last, whatever it is, 18 months. We've just emotionally, we've had to tune out of all the name calling and anger and one-sidedness. So we're going to close this morning actually with a song, and I'm going to invite our band to come. And as they come, I'm going to ask you a super challenging question. (laughs) I don't know how you're going to respond to this question. Uh, It's something that I keep in front of me regularly, not just as a church leader, but as a follower of Jesus. Jesus. Because, you know, it's one thing to sit at coffee or to be on the phone or to have conversations. I, I talk to people who are so politically angry or anxious nearly every day, at least several times a week. And what's so disheartening in trying to live this out and walk this out, like I'm going to love, I'm going to, is when it's not reciprocated, when someone... Is working so hard to change Pastor Brad's mind or thinking politically or to get the church or to stand up or to fight against. But even when someone else isn't reciprocating it, we're still called to live out this call and way of Jesus. And so here's the question. Are you willing to follow Jesus regardless of where he leads you politically? Are you willing to say yes and follow him regardless of who you'll be interacting with, who you will be acting out love toward? Because that is what he's calling our world to. He is calling the church to lead the world towards unity. And I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of that, that church and that movement. And I'm just going to ask you to forgive the church and let go the American church, or maybe it's, maybe it was your grandparents' church, or maybe it was a church you grew up in, or maybe it's a church that you see that I think tends to be exaggerated in, in, in the news today, the angry church or the church that's protesting or boycotting certain people. Just let that church just slip to the side in your, your focal point as you and I agree to look at Jesus and follow him and follow his way and his modeling. So God, that's our heart as we close our time together today and as we approach this, this election. May we be something different. May we love those on the other side of us. May we so love and love one another so well that, that people at work and people in our neighborhood are trying to figure it out. Like, what's different? Why are they, why are they unifiers? How does, this, how does he, how does she bring people together? How do they sound so hopeful? God, I pray that that movement that is coming to our country, that it would not only happen in our neighborhoods, and our places of work, that we, we would be part of it. Thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating, modeling, offering us this kind of love when we didn't deserve it.